I was visiting with, with Mark Moore this past week, and he had a suggestion, and I think it would be a really good one, we, and I would really love to try it. He said, from time to time I make statements that I wish that y'all could see what I see. So he suggested putting cameras up here and just looking at it, y'all, so that you're seeing yourself up here on the screen. What do you think? I guarantee you would be mindful. I don't know if you would be attentive, but you would look attentive. Yeah, I'm thinking it might have more merit than I first gave it. I've had couples ask me from time to time in performing weddings because they, they get the idea that they would really like to be standing here facing everyone and that I would stand here with my back to the crowd. Tell them every time I would be so glad to do that. But I want you to know what I see when I look out there. So when you're supposed to be focused on each other and you look out there and your uncle is, is sound asleep and about to fall out in the aisle, I said, just be ready to handle it. And they always say, no, let's just do it the old way. Yeah, it's okay. But y'all all look good this morning. I tell you, this is impressive, impressive group. Y'all would look good on camera. I would suspect this morning in a group this size that there are some who are here who have lived the life so long under the brokenness of something that happened so long ago that you probably have adjusted your life to the degree that you don't know that something back there happened. Again, I've shared my story many times. I'm going to just briefly share it again that there were two instances in my childhood. One, when I was in about the sixth grade, my girlfriend at the time, her family invited me to go to Lubbock with them to hear the Messiah at the Methodist Church at Christmas. And I said yes, put on the nicest clothes that I had, got in the car with them. And then somebody posed this question, where are we going to eat after? And I can't tell you the terror that struck this 12-year-old heart. Why? Because I had no money. There wasn't a chance in the world that I had any money. Now, I didn't know that the dad was going to pay. I, I had no idea of that. So for the next two or three hours, driving over there, sitting there trying to listen, almost paralyzed by this embarrassment, what am I going to do? I guess I'll just sit there and tell them that I don't want anything. I don't know what to tell them. T today... When we invite people out for dinner, especially college age, high school age, young adults, I will make sure they know in advance that if I invite, that it's on me. That left such a mark on me that I will not put somebody else in that position. It had that kind of an effect. When I was a junior, it cost $25 to buy a senior ring. Your junior year, you had to bring a deposit of $5. When your ring came in your senior year, you would pay the other 20 and get your ring. So I went home and I asked my mom, I said, I need $5 for this deposit. And I remember, it's just like it was yesterday. She looked at my dad and they looked back at me and said, I'm sorry, we don't have it. And they weren't kidding. So the next day when we get to school and our English teacher, Miss Schrader, who did absolutely nothing wrong. I mean, she was as gracious and kind in this as she could possibly have been. When she asked people to bring up the $5, I hesitated a minute, and then I had to tell her, I don't have it. I'll just have to get a ring later. And it's in that moment that Satan said, it's because you're poor. So from that day, from those events, from, but especially from that day when I was a little older, I carried with me an identity for the majority of my life. That, and everything I processed, I processed through the identity of I am poor. Now I also believe the lie that Satan told me, because at that time he told me, if you can make enough money, 
you can get rid of that name. So why do you think I committed my life to? Not only making the money, but doing my best to create the appearance that I had it. Along with that came arrogance, came pride. A lot of things came with it, some of which many of you in here experienced. But there was for me a moment of breakthrough. There was a moment where God had poised all things for me to be able to leave that behind and step into something new. And I want to tell you, had had I not been able to handle that breaking point or that breakthrough point, I wouldn't be standing here today because you would have never tolerated the old one as to be your pastor. I can guarantee you that. God knew what was in front of me and what it was going to take for me to have that moment of breakthrough. I don't know why God has fully given this message this morning, except I believe that there are some here who are at this moment of breakthrough. A breaking point, not to tragically end you, but a breaking point that will advance you, that will just throw you forward. This isn't about the hard part. This is about the opportunity and stepping into what God has in front of us. I don't know what that is. I don't know for a farmer if it could be more land, for a businessman expanding, for a teacher, new job, new, you know, whatever it happens to be. I don't know what God sees this morning, but it would be very unlikely that there would be a person here who's never been at that breaking point or that breakthrough point. We've all been to those places in our lives. And I hope that you can come to that point sooner than I did and without God having to do what he did, how he broke me so that I could actually move forward. The message this morning explains what I went through. And hopefully in this, you will find some ability to take that step that you're struggling to take. To take that next step that will allow you to step into something that God has planned for you. If for some reason you're hesitant to take right now, many hit this moment and back away. Again, this is far more normal than for people to find themselves at the moment and going forward. So again, why would God bring this message? Because maybe there's some here who are at that point. My suspicion is that there's probably several. I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 5, please. We find great clarity in this story. I'll begin with verse 1. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draw. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fish which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, 
They forsook all and they followed him. I love the story. It holds within it so much truth, both what to do and what not to do. It's all in here. I love this phrase. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish and their net break. They were at a breaking point. Or if you look at the story, they were at a breakthrough point. Something was happening in this moment that was so significant that they would back away from it, or if they did it well, it would throw them into something so much dynamically different that they could not have a few minutes before imagined. We get to read the story. They could not have imagined in this moment that they were going to be called to be the disciples of Jesus Christ. All they knew was that they were fishing in a way that they'd never fished before. They were doing something in this moment that they had never done before, but they were standing at this moment, and how they handled it was going to determine what happened next. Whether they just go back and settle into something that, they, that they've always had, or if they had the courage to step forward into something that they'd never seen before. Why did it break? What put them at this point? Why did it break? Why were they ill-prepared for this moment? Well, I want to look at two quick reasons because it's the same two reasons that cause us to be ill-prepared for what God has next. So it's a challenge, certainly for everyone today. But we'll find this answer, the first answer in verse 5. And let me just read that again. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. What was the first challenge that they faced? The one we all do. It's a challenge for everyone to forget yesterday's effort. It's a challenge for everyone to forget yesterday's result and not let that be the reason why they back away or fail to miss the opportunity that's set before them. Because do you realize how close these men are to missing this? Because there's not anything in this moment that's automatically telling them about what's about to occur. All they know is that Jesus is asking them to do something. To cast out their nets and they're letting their history, they're letting what happened yesterday determine what they think is going to happen today. I'll tell you, one of the more difficult things we have in the Christian life is recognizing that Jesus died so that your yesterday can be separated from your tomorrow. He died to make sure that whatever happened yesterday, whether it be sin that's now under the blood of His Son, whether it's an opportunity that was missed, whatever it happened to be, He wants you to know that He died so that the opportunity with Him still exists in our future. If we don't get that, we are going to constantly be dragging our past, dragging the brokenness from what happened to us as children, dragging behind us the fact that that my mom and dad divorced or that my my dad lost his job or whatever happened, and now it's, 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 it's hung around my neck like a chain, and I'm dragging it through my life. I'm dragging it into my future. And God is saying, He told us in Isaiah, that beautiful passage, why He came to set captives free, to loose those chains, to throw open those prison doors so that you and I could be free. Jesus came so that our yesterday can have absolutely no effect on our today and our tomorrow discouragement and frustration had ruled the day for these fishermen. So it would have been easier to back away from the challenge than to face it. The enemy knows how to reach us and to remind us of yesterday and we're ill-prepared to fend him off. This is one of those moments when I wish I had a camera that would shine on you, but I, I don't want to see your faces. 
I would love for that camera to shine on your heart. I'd love for that camera to be able to put on display for you, right on the screen that popped up in front of you, how much the enemy is reminding you of something you did yesterday that, it, that he is desperately trying to drag you down with today so that you'll lose your tomorrow. And we don't know how to fend him off. I tell you, it's a, it's a real challenge within the Christian church to get people to let go of the brokenness of yesterday, to live in the fullness of what God has in store for us. The second thing, the first was his history and the failure of it and not letting it affect what the future looks like. The second one is this. We find it in verses 4 through 6. Let me read them again. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish and their net break. Now, I know that this is going to largely depend on which version of the Bible that you're reading. I'm reading this from the King James. But I want you to notice the difference between what Jesus said and what Peter did. Because notice just one letter. One simple letter in this phrase changes the truth of it. Launch out into the deep in verse 4 and let down your, what does it say? In yours it may say net, in mine it says nets. Jesus says let down your nets. Why would he use the plural? What did Jesus know that they didn't yet know? Jesus knew the size of the catch. Jesus already knew the outcome. Jesus knew what was in front of them and his command was let down your nets. What did Peter, what was his answer? Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. So what is this? What would we call this? Now, again, in some of your Bibles, I know that it says nets and nets. Makes it sound in agreement. What's going on here? Yes, partial obedience, which we call disobedience. Yeah, lack of faith. This is disobedience. It looks so close to obedience. It looks like he did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. He let down his net. Why would he just let down one? Well, the others had been washed. The others had been cleaned. And he understood that he's still being affected by the results of yesterday. So his instruction, cast out the nets. But as any cautious, tired man would, he cast out his net. Yesterday's failure, yesterday's disappointment had caused him to be cautious, had caused him to be practical, and he was doing what he could do, trying to be obedient and be careful at the same time. What will that always get you? A breaking point. When God had something so different prepared, so much in front of you that you didn't know it, so much more than you had expected, he cast out one. The others were clean and history said fishing wasn't good. But the big one is this, because his expectation of Jesus his expectation of what Jesus could do in that moment were no greater than what he saw Jesus in his humanity being capable of doing. He was looking at Jesus, who was a man, 100% a man, never more than man, never less than God. But here was Peter, who was looking at him. Now, remember, Peter hadn't been called yet. He was a fisherman. And he was looking at Jesus. And what was he assessing Jesus being able to do? Only what a man could do. How in the world could a man cause those nets to be full? You see, he was only assessing the capability of Jesus in the limited reality of what he saw in front of him. No different than what happened when Jesus said, feed these multitudes and they only had a few fish and a little bit of bread. And they were looking at Jesus saying, how in the world can this 
be enough to feed them because they were looking at the fish instead of what Jesus was capable of doing in faith to his Father. I want to tell you that one of the reasons that we back away is because we fail to recognize or fail to acknowledge by faith that God is capable of more than what we think humanly possible. You see, there's been a prophecy spoken over this church. A prophecy that says that we better find parking because there won't be enough room. Now, I can sit here and say, well, then that's up to me. We better get busy because I can only increase this thing up to what my capacity, my capability, your capability is. I can sum up every one of us and say, I don't think that's going to happen. But what am I doing if that's my assessment? I'm failing to believe with any real trust, with any real belief, that Jesus is capable of what I can't see. That will make us back away because I want to tell you that until we begin in faith to see the enormity of what God has in front of us, we will always choose the lesser because we can't figure out how to do it. So Peter did what he knew to do. He cast out his net. He was not prepared for the situation. He was not prepared to handle this at the breaking point. He would, as we should recognize that Jesus' presence brought a dynamic bigger than the human limitations that he could see. That happens whether we're taking that first step of faith into salvation to recognize that it feels like I'm giving up so much instead of recognizing that if I put my faith in Jesus Christ, immediately upon that step, there are about 30 invisible things that he does on our behalf, securing us in eternity, a place in eternity that is not possible right now for me until I put my faith in it. For those of us as believers... To begin looking at at opportunities, whether in ministry or in business or in careers or in family. What should we do? Is this this moment we can assess him and see the limitation or recognize that he's bigger than any human limitation that we could possibly see. We would know that our past is no indicator of our future. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he wanted to follow him badly. He said, Lord, you know, I want to follow you in Jesus Not out of anger, not out of anything, said, well, you need to keep the commandments. And he says, I've done that since I was a child. And Jesus says, well, you just lack one thing then. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me and I'll give you treasures in heaven. Look at the promise. Follow me. Treasures. Not even less than what he had. Follow me. Treasures. And the rich young ruler couldn't do it. Because he, like so many of us, can't jettison our past because he could not see his future without it being connected to the past that he didn't want to let go of. It wasn't just because it was money. And it wasn't just because there was a lot of it. I can tell you there are people who are terribly poor and terribly rich, very well and very broken, who can't let loose of their story to step into the future that they have. I had someone come into my office recently and they brought so they could tell their story, the the past story. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't want to hear it. Because there's nothing in your past outside of clues that we can gather that would have anything to do with the future that God has set before you. And he would know, Peter would know, that obedience, full obedience, unlocks the possibility beyond our human effort. That's the lesson that we teach in here over and over and over, that it's obedience that brings us into the fullness of all that God wants. So I want us to go back to the story and just take a look at, at what Peter did right. He did some very, very good things that allowed him at this point to actually survive this moment. Because we recognize that what could Peter have done in this moment that the net was about to pull them under, what could he have done? 
And it might have even entered his mind. Somebody might have said it. I just hadn't heard it. I didn't hear it loud enough. You think he had a knife on him? Yeah. Cut the net. Save himself. Cut the net. Let the fish go. And I don't know if it, was, if it even entered his mind, but I know it would mind. If I'm in this position and I'm about to sink my boat because I can't handle the fish, I can't handle the blessing that God had in store that I miscalculated, it would be very easy at that moment. Cut the net. I would rather let the price of the net go than the sinking of my boat. I want to tell you, there have been many, many blessings missed. In abundance of all they are, because we didn't know what to do in that moment, so we simply cut the net. And the fish, the blessing, is now gone. What did he do right? And what had we better be prepared to do? Let's go back to verse 7 and just read to the end. It's in here. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. How valuable are the boats now? The boat that he was, didn't want to sink. How valuable is it now? What did he do? He walked away from it. The first thing that he did that was wise, that we all have to do, we better figure this out. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship. What's that telling us? If we're going to be successful in handling the moment of breakthrough, we better realize that God didn't establish it for us to do alone. We are designed to be partners. We were never designed to do this by ourselves. Again, my story, and I'll be quick in it. Because of all that happened that God was using to bring me to the moment where I was at a breaking point. To realize that all that God had done, the the loss of a school board election, the loss of a ministry, the loss of money, almost the loss of my job, all happened in four months. And I was so angry that I didn't talk to anybody in this town unless I had to for a year. I was angry. And every day when I would go pick up Jan from school for lunch, I'd park across the street. In the least likely place where anybody would cross my path, and I would park there, wait for her to come out, and then we'd go to lunch and I'd bring her back. And every day, when they would pull up to go into the school to eat, Robert Morgan would get out of their car, their vehicle, and walk across the street and encourage me. I don't know how hard it had to be for him to come against that shield that I had put up, that anger that I don't want to talk to anybody. But Robert knew something. Robert knew for people to handle the breakthrough point, you have to have partners. Everything I was doing, trying to keep from having one, Robert broke it down. And it was a consistent day after day coming across the street, talking to me. And he didn't know he was encouraging me. He would just speak, say a few words, and they would be on their way. You see, we were designed for partners. When I was building the first house that we built, I was in despair. It was going so slowly, and I was building it basically by myself. And I remember, I wasn't attending church here at the time. I was off doing other things. And I remember calling Danny Green in tears because I had to ask him for help. And the men of this church came to help me put the roof on that house. You remember what happened, Kay? Bubba came around the edge of the house, and he had shot a nail through his finger looking for a pair of pliers. And Robert Dawson had a pair and pulled it out. I can't tell you how hard it was to make that call. I was sitting on my front porch, and he could hear my voice break, having to ask for partners to come. What was God breaking in that moment? 
My what? My pride. Still difficult for me to ask for help. But God in that moment knew, if I was going to take that step at that moment, that it was because there were partners who had to come help me. We are not designed to come to points of breakthrough alone. We are designed to have partners. You you know, it's, it's interesting that if you're going to have a cloth, if you're going to have fiber in front of you, material in front of you, what is the ability for any one thread of that to stand alone? Can't do it. Every thread sewn, woven together to gain strength from the ones that are around it. We're not designed to do this alone. Peter, by instinct or by impulse, called on his partners to help him. We'll never handle it. It's written in our DNA to be connected and to help one another. And when we think that we're alone, that I want to tell you, that is not God speaking to us. We are not alone. It would have been opportunity missed had he not called for the partners. The second thing, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at his knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Peter, with great contrition, knew that the only possible explanation for the great benefit of this moment was because of Jesus. Recognizing Jesus in the moment. Peter knew better than to take ownership of this blessing that could have only come from God. It was not his. In Sunday school this morning, we talked about a principle that's sewn into the early fabric of Genesis chapter 1. It's a very simple one. We are not our own. This is not my life to live. This is not my time to spend. You know, this is not my family. This is not my church. He is not my God. I have no ownership of these things. And I was sharing with them from the screw tape letters. I don't know if you've ever read them or they're very powerful, written by C.S. Lewis. But he's saying it for a human being to say mine, my anything, sounds equally strange both in heaven and in hell. Because they know something. They know someday that who really owned you is going to become evident one way or the other. For us to wake up each morning and believe that we've got 24 hours set in front of us that I can do what I need to do, do what I want to do, is an absolute mistake because we cannot take ownership. How many of us have been able to create one second of our life? Why? Because it was given as a gift to us. We're handling this as a gift coming. And we become stewards of it rather than taking ownership of it because the minute that we own it, if Peter would have owned this moment, he would have never turned to the Lord. He would have simply said, my goodness, my fishing skills seem to be improving. And that sounds somewhat like us. Peter had to repent in that moment. He had to change his mind and recognize that Jesus was the very dynamic of the life that he was about to live. The third one, and Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. When they brought their ships to land, they forsook all and they followed him. They were at this moment ready to step into the greater blessing. They now saw the breakthrough moment for what it really was. It was the moment of greater blessing. How many of us, because of fear, because of hesitation, because of doubt, because of uncertainty of the step, are confused about what to do and we're missing the greater blessing because we don't know how to handle this moment that's set before us. And the fourth one, they forsook all and they followed him. The future for them in this moment was now greater and to be more trusted than their past. Wow, what a moment. What would church look like? What would an individual Christian's life look like when after we've hit that moment fully believing that our future 
the one that God has promised us is now greater and begins to pull me instead of the pain behind me pushing me. The Scott Live teaching, pain pushes until vision pulls. When our future, the one that God can show us, becomes greater to us than the hurt of the past that has been pushing us all along. Security was now in Him. It wasn't in the boat anymore. It wasn't in the nets anymore. It wasn't in their skills anymore. It wasn't in their talent anymore. It wasn't in the strength of their physical bodies anymore. Their hope now was 100% set in Him. I would rather be in Him. I would rather be with Him. I would rather Him determine what my future looks like than anything that my past has ever held. And they discovered it in this breakthrough moment. My suspicion is in the secret parts of your life and in your mind, you're wondering about some things, whether this is the time for you to act, for you to, be, to move slowly, to be cautious. I can't answer that question for you. But if God has brought you to a point of a decision, let him bear witness of himself so that you would absolutely know that, that you're trusting in him and not in the things and the facts and the details that you can gather. We live in some degree of self-imposed poverty, simply because we come to these moments and we back away. God's saying this isn't supposed to be that day. If you have a decision to make, and they could be varied. They could be many, many, many. They could be very personal to you. They could be about a relationship of saying from this day under this opportunity that God is creating this breakthrough moment. And I guarantee that breakthrough moment is probably going to be a painful one. It's probably going to be one that you, that's not coming easily. But knowing how to handle it as Peter handled it, to call the partners first, to recognize then in that next moment, looking up, that everything that's happened has been because of what Jesus has just done. And I would rather trust him than me. I would rather trust his future than my past. Because he has a great desire for us to step into the greater blessing. He's pulling you forward, encouraging you in kindness. What a strange moment when Jesus said, To a weary Peter, cast out your nets. This is a day that God has established for us to cast out our nets and see what he has planned.